want to welcome you. Thank you for joining online today. And uh, there's some people in the room here that are serving. It's so good to have you together. We're going to jump into the Word, and uh, we're going to be preaching about community. I don't know if you can see the title of our message today, that Jesus was in a click. And you're like saying, what? Jesus was in a click. I don't like clicks. Well, let's hear what the Bible has to say. Lord, thank you for uh, your love for us. Thank you that you have something to say to us. Thank you that you're not put on mute, that you have a voice, that you have a word for us, that you have a living word for us. Lord, your word is sharp and active, and wherever we are right now, Lord, you want to speak to us, and you want to bring release to us and breakthrough, and so we just release your word to be powerful right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good uh, to uh, take a few minutes to jump into the word, and then uh, Quentin's going to be sharing the message with me today, so he's going to come and share a little bit as well. So I'm going to try to be short, uh, which is going to be difficult. I know you know that about me. Uh, you know, there's one person that we love more than any other person. Anybody have an idea who you love more than any other? Getting a picture in your mind of who that might be. You know, this person, uh, I want to just give you a clue, is the person that deserves the biggest piece of dessert. <laughs> you might be thinking of that person. That person deserves the biggest. They deserve the most comfortable chair in the room. They, they deserve the, the cleanest, sunniest spot on the beach. You know, when you go on the beach, that, that, that person deserves that spot. They deserve the first spot in line at the grocery store. They deserve that. They, they deserve uh, the best hotel room with the most magnificent view. You know, Carla and I, we went to Hawaii one time, and, and uh, we got a room up. I can't remember. I think it was like on the seventh floor or something, and I was kind of excited. Oh, we're going to be able to see all around and, and uh, open the curtains of our hotel room. And the, the next hotel was about four feet outside. Our, all we could see was a block of bricks <laughs> in front of our window. <laughs> it was a good thing we didn't spend a lot of time in there. You know, the truth of the matter is that all of us have a little bit of self-centeredness in us. If you, if you, didn't, if you didn't figure it out, I was talking about, I was talking about the, our, our, uh, the person we love the most is ourself. And we all have a, a measure of self-centeredness. Even, even children... Even children are self-centered. You know, some of you might say, well, well, well kids are just innocent. You know, the, the people that say that kids are innocent are the people that don't have any kids. <laughs> That's who says that. If you're trying to fool yourself right now, if you're just saying, Pastor Greg, you just don't know me that well. I'm really not that self-centered. I, I want to just ask you this. When you, when you see a picture of yourself and your family, or maybe you're, you're with a group of your friends and there's a picture, who's the first person that you look at in the picture? <laughs> it's, it's yourself. That's what we do. We want to see what we look like, or, or we, we just kind of see, want to see ourselves. It's no surprise then that the church is also full of people who are self-centered, people that think of themselves. Secretly, we think, well, the church 
is for me. The church is about me. You know, what happens at the church should please me. You know, we're going to take just a, a few minutes today and just talk about this idea of me in the church. We're going to open the word to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And I think the words will be up on the screen there in front of you if you're watching online. Uh, if you're in the room here, Acts 2, 42 to 47. We'll just read these words uh, of uh, Luke that he wrote in the book of Acts. They devoted themselves, it says, this is the early believers, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wondrous signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another or anyone who had need. Every day they continued uh, to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Praise God. People were giving their lives to Jesus and being set free from their sin and uh, coming into new life, new relationship with God. Uh, I really think this is a great scripture because it talks about the church. It talks about how the church responds to the gospel. It talks about uh, lives that are transformed by the gospel and set free by encounters with Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it begins to talk about how people began to lose their focus on themselves. (laughs) That's what it talks about. It talks about being devoted, (laughs) being devoted to each other. It talks about fellowship with each other. It talks about saying, you know what, I want to be together with the church more than anything else. I'm willing to give up things in my life so I can be together, so we can pray together, so we can break the bread and encounter the presence of Jesus together, so we can share what we have with each other. There's a devotion that is going on in the early church And there's a devotion that goes on in the church. You know, when we see our church, when we see Gateway Church, what do we see? Do we think, you know, Prince George, the city of Prince George, has a church. It has a Gateway Church. Man, Prince George, they're lucky that they have a Gateway Church. Or maybe we see the city and we see that there's a bunch of churches in the city. You know, there's the Reformed Church and the Mennonite Church and the Baptist Church and the Alliance Church, and there's Gateway Church. And we think of a bunch of churches uh, that the city has. Or we could look at it another way. We could see that the church in Prince George has a city. It's not that the city has a church or churches, it's that the church has a city. It's a different different way to look at it, isn't it? You ever think of that yourself, that you're not here for the church. You're here. The church is here. We're here for 
our city. The church is not just for me, <laughs> but Gateway has a city that we influence, that we, that we care for, that we live for, that we're devoted to, that we would be willing to lay our lives down for. This is the message of the gospel. This helps us to see who we really are when we get this perspective. Gateway is a church, we could say, that exists for me. Or Gateway is a church that exists for others. Right? For our city. For the others in our church. Let's be clear. We are the church. You know, you're at home. You are the church. You might be sitting in your car, in your office. Maybe you're in the parking lot. I want to just say, wherever you are, we are the church. Our identity, I mean, I praise God that we're not homeless, that we have a home. But our identity is not a building. Our identity is given to us by Jesus. Right? He's the one that sets us free. He's the one that makes us children of God. He is the one that empowers our lives. We are the church because we know him. And so we must not lose sight of our mission, of his mission. We were talking about Jesus' vision for the church last week, that he saw a multitude of people. Remember we read that out of Revelation chapter 7. Now, Gateway's stated mission, and you can find this on our website. I'm not going to take a lot of time with it today. But I just want to remind you, and I think it will also be on your screen right now, that our church mission is to live out the gospel in a missional community. And what that means is that we live out the reality of the gospel with each other. You know, in our homes we live it out. In our workplaces, we live it out. In our church building, in our meetings, we live it out. Wherever we go, we live out the mission of the gospel with each other. That means we forgive each other. That means we love each other. That means we accept each other. We encourage each other. We pray for each other. We're generous with each other. We lay our lives down for each other. That's what being a missional community. It's saying the reality of the gospel is coming out of me and I can't even stop it. It's, it's exploding out of me. There's something. I can't even help it. And that's part of our mission. That's one arm of our mission. The other is to proclaim his kingdom to all the world. Jesus' kingdom message that everyone can come to know Jesus. Everyone can come become a child of God. Everyone can walk into freedom in their lives. You know, we're not only about one. We're about both. Both arms. We're about being a community. We're about having a mission to reach. We grow and are healthy in the community of the church. But we also can become unhealthy if we forget that we exist not for ourselves, but for others. We have a mission. We have a city that needs us. Church, <laughs> this is not a time for fear. This is not a time for complaining. This is not a time for arguing and division. We have a great mission. 
We have a great Lord. He's encouraged us to walk in mission with him. This is not a time for us to be distracted by our enemy. This is a time for us to decide we're going to live in unity no matter what. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to lay it all down. We're going to devote ourselves to the mission of Jesus. We're a church who has a city. And our city needs us. And you know what? We also need our city. We need a mission. Can you imagine if we didn't have anything to do but sit around and complain? Huh? It would be a terrible thing. But Jesus has given us a huge mission. And then he's poured out his Holy Spirit upon us that we can accomplish his great mission. The church needs both arms of the mission. We need the church to be here for us. We need to be here for one another. The city, and I want to I uh, uh, just say, at the end of the service, when everything is done today, I want to take a few minutes. I don't want to do that during the service because I want this focus to be on Jesus. But I would like to talk to you about COVID and all this stuff because I think some of you have questions. So I'd like to talk to you. If you want to stay online after the service is over today, I want to take a few moments with you. You know, the, the church, uh, need, we need the church. And the church needs to be here for each other. We need to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit functioning. We need the prophetic to operate. We need the gifts of healing. We need courage to rise up in us. Man, I've had times where I've been afraid in my life and the Holy Spirit's come on me. And it's like he just fills me with boldness for the thing he wants me to do. And I just, I, just feel, I just feel like I could do anything because he's with me. And we need that. Our kids need it. Our spouses need it. You know, sometimes we think we just need to, like, argue more. Or have a better convincing thing. Or whatever. I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit can anoint you to break through barriers with people. He can see release come. And I'm just praying that that would happen in the name of Jesus in our church. This church is my church. You know, we can all say, this is my church. You know, those chairs are my chairs. Or this microphone is mine. This podium. You know, whatever's here, it's mine. This piano is mine. This, this guitar, I don't know. I think those are someone else's. I think the drums are mine. <laughs> whatever. You can say whatever. You can come in and say, oh, the cameras are mine. The soundboard is mine. And the dishes in the cupboards are ours. You know, whatever. You could say that about anything in here pretty much. And there's a part of that that's true. Those are my songs that we sang in worship. That's my pastor. You know, all those kinds of things. That can be part of it. But it's only such a small part. Our church is here for one another. We're here for our city. We exist for others. You might see the city is in such a desperate place. Our province is in such a desperate place. The city needs to encounter the gospel. Everywhere we look, we see brokenness, selfishness, drunkenness, greed, fear, controlling spirits, whatever. We see people who are aimless and hopeless that oftentimes have their identity in a lie. 
We pray as a church. We give as a church. And we go as a church because we know the desperation is there. That's why we do it. We know there's a city that needs us. Jesus said this. He made this comment. He said, zeal for your house will consume me. That's what Jesus said. What will consume Jesus? It's the house of God. It's the church. He said, I will give up everything for the church. Our challenge isn't rules uh, like it was in Jesus' day. You know, Jesus was fighting against the law and and the control of the Pharisees and so on. In our day, a lot of it is just me. It's meism. It's consumerism. It's, it's what we think we deserve and what we want and, and what we believe should be uh, how things should go. We convince ourselves that the church is here for me. But Jesus was clear on this mission, on his mission, that the church was here to consume him. What is the church here for you? Is it here to please you? Or is it here to consume you? Have you ever complained? Oh, the only time the church ever talks to me is when they need something from me. Well, I'll tell you, you know what? The church needs you. The church needs you not just to use you. The church needs you to fulfill the mission of Jesus to our community, to our city, to one another. That's what the church is here to do. We're here for one another, and we're here for our city. How are we consumed? We're consumed by fulfilling our mission, existing for others. That's how we're consumed. Jesus was part of a clique. He had exclusive friends. He loved everyone, but human relationships are limited. We grow in relationship. We're loved. We're stretched. We have great joy in relationships. But we need a group of friends. You think about your family. You're close to your family and then other people you're less close to, so on and so on. Jesus had a group of friends that he was very close to. And this week, we're starting connect groups. We're starting an emphasis on community. We need each other. We we can complain and say, oh, it's going to be on Zoom. I hate Zoom. You know what I say? Tough. Tough luck. You know, probably Jesus, what he would have said, I hate the cross. I don't like the cross. I don't want to do that. But he did. He did it for you. He did it for the mission of the church. And we need community. Jesus had community. You know, Jesus' friends let him down all the time. They gave up on him. They turned around. They fell asleep. They argued about things that he just couldn't believe. They did not get it yet. But he still continued to invite them into community. Why? Because it's the place where we encounter the goodness and love of God. And it's the place where we can take that 
to others. You know, at Gateway, community happens in connect groups. That's our plan for community. You could say, oh, well, I can do it a different way. Well, that's okay. But I'm not inviting you to do it in a different way. I'm inviting you to come into connect groups. And this week, we're going to be inviting you into a Zoom room. And I think someone's going to let you know how to do that later. And we're going to enjoy getting to know each other and experiencing the love and the goodness of Jesus. No one is above community. We're not too good for it. And no one is below community. Not good enough for it. Everyone is welcome. And Jesus made that very clear. Quentin's going to come and take it from here. Paul says in Romans, I, uh, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I want to do. See, Paul knew there was a struggle. Um, that we're just not naturally generous. We're not naturally selfless. He knew that. See, neuroscience um, has, come, has come to this realization that 95% of what we do is subconscious. Which is kind of cool. The problem with that means is that we act kind of before we think. See, our brain only has so much energy every day for conscious, I'm thinking about this at this very moment. But our brain loves survival. And so our brain creates habits pretty quickly because as soon as a habit is as soon as something's a habit, it's subconscious, which means now that it can save that conscious energy to think about things like survival. <laughs> and so we're constantly trying to make everything a habit. The problem is, as Greg touched on it, the world's against us. See, the world, they keep, they, they, they know, and the enemy knows that we, we think subconsciously more than we think consciously. So it's constantly bombarding us with ads and all kinds of things, trying to, to shape and mold us so that our heart's desires are for what it wants. That's why we aren't naturally generous. It's why we aren't naturally self, selfless. Romans 12, one to two. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice that he may find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Do not copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So if the habits that we do on a regular basis, they affect our subconscious when then therefore affects our values and what we desire to do on a regular basis. Then we should really be paying attention to what kind of habits and what kind of things that we do on a regular basis because they make a huge impact on us. And Paul knows this. 
Which is why before he talks about don't let your customs and behaviors mimic the world, he specifically says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God as a holy and living sacrifice. Because he understands that a holy and living sacrifice is, to, is, like, is worship. That's why they gave animals as a sacrifice. One, so they wouldn't you know, die in his presence. And two, because it was worship to the Lord. But ultimately, what is worship? Worship is obedience. And so to live a holy and living sacrifice to the Lord is ultimately to walk in obedience. Because simply put, a disciple follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, and proclaims the name of Jesus. Following Jesus is obedience. Let's go back to Acts 2, chapter 42. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, and to sharing in meals, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They, shared their, they sold their property possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the people, while praising God, enjoying the will, good will of the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship of those who were being saved. See, prior to that piece of scripture, Peter's actually doing a whole gospel message. And 3,000 new believers. And this is the next line. And then they. And then they all devoted themselves. So that was that, that's that first, they followed Jesus. But if you notice the devotion, what did they devote themselves to? They devote themselves to the teaching. So that's the word of God. They devote themselves to fellowship, which is community. The Lord's prayer and meals. And in ancient times, who you eat with is who you're okay with. You don't eat with people you're not okay with. So sharing meals together is saying, no, you're in my family now. You're here with me. And then prayer. Relationship with the Father. And then you, you, you go down a little bit more and it gets to this kind of like uh, verse. And all the believers sold everything, <laughs> their property and possessions, <laughs> and they gave to those in need. And <laughs> you read that and you're like, uh, are, you, are you sure, Lord? <laughs> I don't know. So if everything we do affects us, it changes our subconscious, it molds and shapes us, then them devoting themselves to the word of the Lord, to fellowship, to sharing meals with those that they love, and prayer, then what's the natural overflow? See, Romans 12, 2, the, verse, the part we didn't touch on, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. See, that, that um, the one thing in Scripture sometimes we forget is that when we read a line, we really think it's like the moment and then the next and then the next. And we forget that sometimes in Scripture, the next line, there's time in, in between. Like it's a process. 
But because we read it so fast, we think, oh, wow, okay, so I devote myself and now I sell everything. <laughs> but we realize, like, but it's, like, there's a process. It's not instant. It's not, it's not. And the other interesting thing is they specifically said, and they gave to those in need. So it wasn't actually that free-for-all, sell everything, pull it together. But there's a a heart of generosity which said, I have excess. I'm going to sell this because you need it. There's a supernatural change of their heart of generosity. Simply put, a disciple follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, and proclaims Jesus. You follow Jesus by devotion and obedience. And because you're setting these habits regularly, the Lord then partners with you and he transforms you so that your heart is generous and selfless. And then in Acts 2, what does it say at the end? And all while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Simply put, a disciple follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, and proclaims Jesus. But we need to know him to be able to proclaim him, (laughs) be transformed by him, or follow him. Everybody gets a little, sometimes, everybody's a generality, I realize that. Myself, at least. My mentor in, in college always would be, Quentin, did you read your Bible and pray today? And he'd ask me every day he saw me. And some days I'd say yes, and some days I'd say no. And at, at first it kind of annoyed me. I was like, oh, but yesterday I read like five chapters, okay? Doesn't that like count for today? <laughs> Can't I take a day off? <laughs> and that's when it clicked. What I do daily makes an impact. Like a, drip, like a coffee drip. Like the, the more the coffee drips, the more coffee you have. That's what discipleship, that's what following Jesus is about. It's the slow drip. I'm confident, in first clot, I'm confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. Like that alone says, hey, this isn't just a flick a switch and now you're like Jesus instantly. It's a constant process. And what's crazy though is that God is so amazing in the way that he designed us and created us and he knows, okay, so I know I designed you to think subconsciously. I designed you so intricately and beautiful in your brain. I designed you that way, he says, on purpose. And then the sin is corrupted in, you know, we got all this shebang. <laughs> but he sent redemption. And in that redemption comes a way to use the way he's created us for his glory. Because everything he's calling it to is multifaceted, right? Like it's a lot deeper than we realize. Reading our Bible isn't just to check a mark. Reading our Bible isn't just to say, I follow you, Lord. 
It isn't just to create a good habit. It's it's everything. Everything he's calling us to do, it's not just to, to do it for no reason, right? Like there's so much, layer after layer, like an onion, to what he's calling us to do and how much it impacts us. Which is kind of the heart of connect groups. And we have a team have been really praying because we realize, maybe not consciously, <laughs> but how much um, we're not really, we don't set ourselves up for success all the time. And some of the main things we're going to talk about in, in connect groups are the spiritual disciplines, we call them, because discipleship and discipline are the same thing. And not discipline is in you did something bad. But discipline is in it actually takes a little bit of work to do it over and over again. Because simply put, a disciple follows Jesus, is transformed by Jesus, and proclaims Jesus. So let's start by following him. Then we'll be transformed by him. And then we can proclaim him. So as the worship team comes up, I just kind of want to invite you guys to connect groups. We're going to be talking about uh, setting apart time for the Lord. There's going to be reading the word, studying it, journaling, <laughs> scripture memory, which might cringe for some, but on purpose because the things we do, the little things we do make a big impact on us. And Paul says it. I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. But then Paul also says, but let your mind be transformed by the Lord. And this is one of those ways. So Father, I just ask uh, for your grace upon this church and the people watching, Lord, that you would tug on our hearts. You'd pull us in deeper. There would be release of your spirit. And that you would be the king. You would be the king of our hearts. Father, and I also ask for a grace um, for even the habits that we're dealing with right now that, are, uh, that aren't of you. Lord, there'd be a grace to break those off in Jesus' name. There'd be a grace to break off smoking addiction in Jesus' name. There'd be a grace to break off uh, alcoholism. Father, abuse, pornography, Lord, we break that off. The addiction to cell phones and our own self-image. Lord, there be a grace in Jesus' name to break that off. Lord, that you begin to birth inside of us a deep yearning to come and sit at your feet. Because you are the one who transforms us, Father. You are the one who transforms us. In your name. Amen.